0: For rocking with us, check it. Julie, kick off the show.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy in
0: the King. Uh, so listen, I, I really, I actually have to be just a tad bit quiet. Um, because those of you who are listening, you have no idea that I'm sitting in an office in New York. And the people in the company, like... Uh, Well, they're not used to a person making a bunch of goddamn noise. They're just not used to, you know, it's kind of real boring, like the entire office, white furniture. It's almost like everything in here is, well, it's black and white, but it's so quiet, Jay. Um, Anyway, how are you?
1: You know what? I am wonderful. Okay. Um, Sitting at the the new place in Portugal. I've been uh, here, what, two weeks now? It's a dream. Living the dream, that's all I can tell you. Living so. the dream, and
0: you are not by yourself. Um, a lot of folks, you know, want to have that dual citizenship and,
1: yes. you know,
0: spread their wings a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's uh, funny. I was getting my, my eyelashes, or not my eyelashes, my eyebrows done the other day, and I was talking to the lady who was doing it, she was like, god there's all these americans here all of a sudden like what the hell is happening there and i'm like meh let's just not talk about it just just know yeah. that you know we'll, we'll come hang out bring some money in, do that thing so yes there there's a lot of of uh, movement we're hearing from more and poor people every day um but you know what i'm uh especially thankful for you uh for Taking our in-deem, um kind of thought that we've had for the last couple of years and really taking it to fruition, and I don't know if it was on purpose, but you gave me pretty much the entirety of the the month of October off um, from the mic, knowing that um, you know it is the busiest month of the year for me for for disability solutions, and I am a person with a disability. I don't know if that was in your thought process, but. I appreciate you for that. And we had some great freaking content.
0: We did. It wasn't on purpose. We did and thank you, you're welcome. So all of that. So we did, it wasn't on purpose. We did have some great content and you're absolutely welcome. Nothing wrong with getting like a one month break that is unexpected that allows you to sort of pour that energy into a different part of your professional and your personal life. And I want to just send out special thanks out to Yvette Pegues, uh for kicking us off. I know that she was a bit nervous, but she had some uh, incredible announcements and things that she's doing in the disability community. I want to also thank Amanda Kirby, Theo Smith from over in the UK for jumping in and hopping on that beat and giving us a little bit of that C-A-T-K love. And then last but not least, Amanda Burris. Uh, It's funny because when I was responding to Amanda Kirby, uh, Amanda Burris popped up in my email, Auto Pop, and I'm like, this is the wrong person. And then I was thinking about somebody else with the last name Kirby over in Australia, New Zealand, I'm sorry. I was just like really bugging a little bit, but we got it all right. I think that all of them, um, you know, for for it being their first time, not a whole lot of prep, for all of them hopping on and just really contributing to the conversation last month, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, yeah. and I'm very appreciative that you... Uh, And I were able to agree that we we would take a chance and do something that we had never done before.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it was um, I was super nervous about it. I I don't know if I've said that on on air, but I was super nervous about it. Um, And you know what? Like, I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass right now because you're 100 percent right. Everybody did an amazing job. Um, it's hard to give up my seat, you know, just hanging out with you and doing our thing. So that was a little bit of it. Um, but also what a fantastic, um, kind of spread for our listeners to understand what disability brings to the table. Some of just the the everyday people out there doing their thing, making a difference, um, you know, living their life. With a disability, being successful and, and rocking their game, whatever that is, um, and that's what I think. You know, as I went back and listened to all the shows, all of the guests were, guests were great. I'm super proud of Amanda; she did a fantastic job. Um, and what I realized is, this is where we need to see people with disabilities, just like that, right? Just like that, in this, like, hey everyday life, hey, doing our thing. It's not just Julie saying all the time that people with disabilities are out there rocking the world and doing things all the time, but we are. And we had many very good examples, um, this month on, or last month now, excuse me, it's November, um, showing what, what disability employment and, um, success should look like.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's hop into, uh, just a couple of stories and then get to our conversation for the week. Number one, I think at the big, um, at, not at the big, but at the top of most headlines, most newsletters, at least since last Thursday, uh, the biggest headline happens to be that Elon took over Twitter. And I got to tell you, um, well, I'm not, yeah, I am going to tell you, it was no big deal to me. Honestly, okay. I, I felt like, you know, whether it's Elon or somebody different. You know, they're going to do within the organization whatever it is they decide to do. These are billionaire problems. It's not my problem. I'm not trying to take over Twitter. I'm trying to use the platform as I use other platforms as a way to get out a message that I think is important. But one thing struck me uh, over the weekend. I don't know exactly what day it was. It could have been Friday of last week. could have been Saturday or Sunday of uh, the weekend or even earlier this week. But there was a rise in posts. Uh, around anti-Semitism, homophobia—I uh, want to say posts that were racially charged. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily said the N-word, Jay. I don't want to—I don't want to spread misinformation. But what I do remember seeing is that there was a rise in negative, um, toxic, dangerous language in the days of him taking over. How did you feel? Did you feel anything? Did you care?
1: Um. Yeah, I care. Um, one Twitter is the only social media that I still like. Um, you know, we, and we've had this talk many times. I just had to take a lot of social media breaks and I've gotten out of the habit of it for the most part. Um, but Twitter, I really enjoy. It's like a way to connect with people who, um, you would never, I would never, never otherwise like sort of have the opportunity to like sort of hear from on a really personal basis, especially, you know, just the really smart people in our, in our political world. Um, and I honestly didn't think that the deal would go through. I don't know if you listened to the pivot podcast um, with uh, Scott Galloway and
0: Kara Swisher.
1: Kara Swisher, thank you for saving my ass as always. Um, and, but they've been talking about this for months and really like what Elon did first was he manipulated the stock. So I own in mutual fund, in Fund's Twitter stock. He manipulated the price of that um, to his own end. He won't pay for that. That's, that's a problem, number one. Um, problem really number two is um, that he is backed financially because he had to take on debt to make this purchase happen. So he's backed financially by a Saudi prince, which means now that we have a foreign government who partially owns an American social media company that I have a problem with. Um, and then uh, of course the last thing, um, that you, you speak of is then, um, his sort of, I'm not going to moderate content approach, right? So it's really just sort of a free for all of free speech, which, is then resulting in what what you talked about, which is the increase in anti semitism, mm-hmm. LGBTQ anti trans language, um, homophobia, and I, I believe a dramatic increase in the use of the N word. I believe you're you're right about that. Um, as people who have otherwise been kicked off the platform are rejoining from you know far right platforms such as you know a True Social, Reddit, parlor whatever the fuck they are things um and so yeah it's I, I don't know if it's that big of a deal but it's there are things about it that like seriously piss me off and that this is a platform that i really really love um to use and it's going to be changing dramatically and i don't think it's going to be changing for the best
0: Yeah. You know, so you raised some very, very good points. I I have not listened to the podcast there, Scott and Kara's podcast, in quite some time, but I am very fond of both of those personalities. Uh, I will also say that I like the points that you raised around the uh, foreign government, uh, that governmental entity or individual being behind such a prominent U.S. brand, one that we use to well, actually, one that's used globally. You know, I think about Arab Spring and how it ignited, um, and how it supported so much of the uh, uprising and the um, vocal activism, if you will, um, for a variety of different things. So it is a platform that I, too, appreciate. I don't see Twitter as... Um, like an Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, I do see it as being a very different platform. So I can appreciate the balance that you give to my statement of eh, whatever. I still feel the uh, whatever, but I also embrace and feel the points that you've raised. And what I think is going to happen in this, you know, whether or not it's Elon firing uh, a number of high-ranking executives and others, whether he uh, continues to throttle. Uh, Employees' access to content moderation tools, whether he re platforms some of the individuals that have been kicked off. I believe in the end, and I don't know what the end looks like, but I believe over the next 12 to 18 months, a lot is going to be revealed to those of us who care about the platform, use the platform. And I think that 18 month mark or so, um, we might see the rise of a couple of competing platforms. Not any of the ones that you mentioned, but some very new entrants into the marketplace. So what I think is going to happen is good.
1: So the most important question related to Twitter is, and listeners, if you do not know, my podcast partner is blue check verified, kind of a badass. Will you pay to keep it? Is it important enough for you to spend that 240 bucks a year? Nope. Not
0: not not 240, not 60, not 24. I wouldn't even pay $2 a month to be verified. The only way that I would pay to be verified, and I mean this sincerely, I would actually pay to be verified. And this is actually, this is gonna roll into our next story. I would pay to be verified if Twitter had a verification policy for every single profile on the platform. If they were collecting driver's license, driver's license and identifying information, you know, like I had to go through to get blue check verified so that I knew that it wasn't a bot and it was a person and that they could be identified and in some ways pinpointed for some of their nefarious behavior, I would pay all day to be blue check verified. I'd pay 240, I'd pay 360. You know, I would pay, but. Until they get rid of some of the bots and the um, fake uh, accounts, no, I'm not paying for it.
1: There you go. You heard it here first, Elon.
0: So it actually brings, um, it, it, it goes into the story we have around Texas and fake, facial recognition becoming a way of life. And I'm not going to go into the full story part in part because uh, I'm working on a laptop and I have limited window space. But it's in Fast Company. Um, you can you can look at the uh, article. Here's the reason why I shared the article. There were people that were talked about in the article, Julie, that were against facial recognition becoming so prominently used in. Um, in everyday life. In this instance, in the beginning, it was a person or a couple trying to rent an apartment, and the apartment complex wanted them to take a picture on their phone, and and the, they just weren't feeling it. Here's my question. I believe we can't stop that train. So do you feel like this facial recognition journey that is really, like, just looming over the mountain, like, it literally is looming over the mountain, do you feel like this, this technology is going to have positive or more negative impact on our daily lives?
1: Uh, You know, I go back and forth. I mean, you know, I think you're, like after and i'm going to say this from an american purview first and then try to give it a more global perspective is after 9 11 we put the patriot act into law in which we created and i think not fully as a citizen who lived it um as you did not fully recognizing that we were in fact allowing at least the gateway for the creation of a surveillance state um now is a surveillance state good or bad um you know if if we look at london if we look at you know different parts of of europe that have heavy use of like cctv um and and those kind of things where crime is lower than it is here maybe it's a good thing maybe it's a bad thing i don't know um what i know is as americans we have we've created um a power vacuum in which that kind of technology and that kind of surveillance is going to be able to thrive. And when you pair that with really unfettered capitalism that we have in this country, um, and the conveniences that that surveillance state is going to create, yeah, I think that ship has sailed. I think that, um, you know, I like to look at my phone and have it see me. I like to get on the plane with my clear and my biometric scan, you know, all of those things. And do I really think about very often anything other than giving my DNA away to like a 23 of me, which I will never do? Um, The rest has just sort of meh, just happened.
0: You know, um, uh, uh, yeah. I did. I signed up like you for Clear, and then when the pandemic hit, uh, I started to see the efficacy of Clear beyond the airport. Uh, and then, lo and behold, uh, they started to accept it at some of the conferences and in-person events that I was attending and/or attended by others. And so I. I tend to not be uh, a person who is reticent about embracing new technology. Um, I don't know. I think uh, if we can if we can get this facial recognition to, like, for instance, this camera that's on my laptop right now. I purchased it for one reason and one reason only, so that I wouldn't have to hook unhook the uh, audio and video equipment that's in my office. I'm trying to, you know, just put it there and leave it there and not move it around, put it on planes and all that other stuff. But this camera is actually supposed to follow me. Now, I don't know if it's following me because I haven't done anything, but on your side, is it moving?
1: Oh yeah, it really it's moving. moving. Oh yeah. Oh,
0: interesting. So see, I couldn't even, I can't even tell. On my side, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, so I think that we, personally, I like to embrace new technology when I think that it will, Advance efficiency. It will advance efficacy. It will advance uh, connection and humanity. So even though the ship has sailed, I'm happy to be on the ship. I just want to make sure that we are as as individuals not afraid to govern when governing needs to be done. That if in fact we can tell that these organizations these Uh, companies, these enterprises if they're misusing our data they're misusing um, misdeploying technology that we step in and we step in immediately we don't allow it to become some erected um, tool in our day to day life where it's hard for us to strip it out and we can't move forward kind of like the too big to fail remember that whole conversation around too big to fail I just uh, any technology we stood up in a way that if we pull it out or that if we try to now regulate or do something that is for the better good, for the greater good, that it disrupts our lives totally. That that I want us to try to avoid.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a good, like kind of one of the pieces I took away from the article is just, it's the ability to opt out. Um, and I think that's like, that's one of my big problems is, um, if I opt in, I I choose to use Clear. I choose to give that information to sure. the Clear company. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I shouldn't have to use it to be able to purchase an apartment. I, there should be other ways of I, verifying my identity, which we've done for, you know, how many ever dozens and dozens of years. Um, and, and we should be allowed to opt out of that kind of, of, of data collection. And not only should we be have the ability to opt out, but we should, um, have sort of first right of refusal in terms of like, when it pops up, you can opt in, you can opt out, not, I have to go find a thing and opt out and do all that kind of stuff. And the other pieces is certainly around facial recognition around, um, you know, the criminal justice system, um, that is proven again and again to be problematic. And we don't have anything close to the type of, um, accuracy, that we need to make that uh, even remotely doable at this point.
0: Yeah, and the last story that we have before we go to our break, it's just a really quick mention, but I am really, really excited uh, that the Wharton School of, well, it looks like the management department, I don't wanna say the Wharton School of Business, but the Wharton Management Department is going to offer in the academic school year of 2023, 2024, they're going to offer an MBA in diversity, equity, and inclusion major. It's a it's a major, major, major academic announcement for me, which really will connect us to part of what we're going to talk about after the break. But I thought that this was beautiful. Love that Wharton um, in all of its prominence and glory around building B school students and propelling people to Wall Street and power corridors, That they said, wait a minute, we have to do even more. Uh, around diversity and inclusion. Stephanie Curry, who has been awesome, she's been a great friend. Um, just to know that even with her presence, the work that she's doing, others are doing, that the school said we have to do even more. I thought that this was good.
1: Yeah, it's good find. It's interesting. Uh, I'll be very interested to see how uh, it plays out and if other schools adopt.
0: And we will go to a break, but what I want you all to know before we do the break is why do Julie and I talk about Twitter and Elon Musk and content moderation? And why do we talk about uh, facial recognition and the criminal justice system and how it impacts our personal and professional lives? And why do we highlight Wharton starting a academic major around d Because they're all important. We have grown in how we put our stories together. That we're not only talking about DNI specific stories, because we know that uh, indirectly these stories impact how we pursue DNI in our personal and professional lives. So stick with us; we'll be right back. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. So this week, in a flash, the Fed's proposed rate hike may spur a signal that a downturn is inevitable, and the CEO of Redfin says that home prices are falling faster than they did in 2008, and apparently, we have Airbnb Joes and Josettes, institutional investors, and iBuyers to blame. All companies are posting record profits, early voting is up, way, way up, and a man in southern China is concealing his $30 million lottery jackpot from his wife and his child, fearing Jay that the winnings will make both of them lazy. I don't know if you caught it, but our jackpot here last week was $1 million. Over at the Supreme Court, some justices pressed for an end to race conscious university admissions as they heard challenges to affirmative action early in the week and I think some of the members of the Supreme Court should probably enroll in that class from Wharton in 2023-2024. And finally, if that isn't enough to ponder, apparently there is now a thing called the pink tax. The pink tax is a return to office tax where women also face paying more for clothes, makeup, and dry cleaning, paying more than men. That's this week's in
1: a flash all right so i just have the question question from in a flash which i love by the way did you just learn about the pink tax or did you were you just updating the pink tax
0: so i thought about that you know it's so interesting that you asked me that because i said did we talk about that before uh and i didn't do a quick you know uh google drive search like i would normally do but i said but then the, the immediate question after that was, but haven't women always paid more money for clothes, for makeup, for hair than men have? Like, why is there a for? You know what I think it is, Jay? I just think that people... I think that there are more people working hard to trend, go viral... So let's come up with this new phrase, like whoever created uh, the war for talent, 1996 <laughs> or whoever created the Great Resignation or the Great Reset, well, people are, I think people are always searching for something that allows them to get a bit of notoriety. Uh, so I knew about the pink tax. I may not have called it the pink tax, but women in my life have always paid more for these things than I do.
1: Yes, we we pay a higher tax many times on female goods like tampons, uh, you know, all of those things. We pay a higher tax for or a higher price for pink razors, women's razors versus men's razors. All of those things um, have existed. Um, And now as we do return to work and have to revamp those wardrobes, uh, all of those things are, are still more expensive for us to do. So excellent call out. So this week,
0: um, well, last week, there was a tweet that caught my attention, and I'm going to actually read the tweet. Uh, It was regarding Penn State. The Penn State uh, University is scrapping plans to open up a center for racial justice. Uh, The plan was actually announced in 2021 in response to, of course, George Floyd, the summer uprising, and some of the other things that were happening. Um, But it was to highlight how the um, school has failed to hire and retain black faculty members. The tweet was from uh, an individual by the name of Wyatt Massey. Uh, He's at News4Mass on Twitter. News, the number four, Mass on Twitter. He says, Penn State has formally scrapped plans to establish a center for racial justice a key proposal in the wake of 2020 protests. The, this uh, this morning, the morning that the tweet was sent out, President ben, Benda Pudi uh, told the group searching for the center's director that Penn State would not fund the effort. Now, we'll get back to that. So my question, um, how do you feel when academic institutions corporations, nonprofit entities people who have made a demonstrative stand that DNI is important racial social social justice is important how do you feel when when they backtrack on those declarative statements those demonstrative positions, and, and just to be fair, let, let me not tease out the audience. What the president said is that they're going to take those allocated funds and reinvest them in existing work that is already being done. With an asterisk. That's my asterisk, not yours. That's not an article asterisk. But how do you feel when they backtrack from those demonstrative statements and positions?
1: I mean, it, it immediately when when you were reading the tweet and we were prepping for the show. Um, I thought of Tim Sackett who who joined us, you know, earlier this year and we asked him, you know, are companies backsliding in their DI commitments now that we are, you know, two plus years uh, out from the murder of George Floyd? And his answer was an unequivocal and loud, yes, they are. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, that's my that's my first gut reaction is, you know, we've we things are bad and something terrible happens and we take action and we have that gut. But when it comes time to put your money where your mouth is, that money is reallocated, reprioritized in a, a potentially, and again, I'm just sort of talking out loud, less than transparent way than a center for racial justice would have been, um, on Penn State's campus. Now, um, with that being said, I think that we do a lot of, I think there's a lot of academic work that gets done around social justice, racial justice, um, and we have a, a lot of very, very smart people. So if we're going to use the money for making sure that we are actually you know, creating more diverse scholarship programs, initiatives, making sure that we're retaining and paying black and brown talent at the level that is equitable to their their white peers that we are creating more accessible buildings on campus, that we're using, creating more accessible technology, um, more accessible learning, you know, uh, mediums for students and, and uh, faculty for disabilities. Like that to me is a really good use of that money. Um, and so you know maybe next time when we start thinking about those commitments, it, we can see sort of the 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 reality of being reactive versus proactive. Does Penn State have a good um, DEIB strategy from its top to its bottom? Right. Or when things happen, like the murder of George Floyd, do they all of a sudden wake up and go, oh, shit, we haven't done anything. Let's make this really big promise that we then don't keep. Instead of having, you know, DNI that moves and lives and is a part of everything that Penn State does, which, again, um, at least at my gut would be a, probably a much better use of the money than sort of the high profile building, you know, downtown um, and, and making that, that move for additional academic work.
0: I don't know, so I, I, I
1: literally just thought of that while I was talking, it's, it, it could be all wrong.
0: <laughs> well, so I, I, I teased it a tad bit while I shared, You know that Penn State had been operating, or at least this last year, operating at about a hundred million dollar deficit. I've seen a few different numbers uh, in some of the articles that I researched or read prior to our reporting. But the point is, all of the articles suggested that Penn State is they are cash deficient at this particular point. So the the piece that, that, that sort of stood out for me, you touched on it is are we being transparent? So I, I tried to be fair because I said, you know, when I go in and consult and work with an organization. I always tell them, I have to start with the discovery. I need to see where you all are so that we can baseline how we decide to stand up programming and efforts to move forward. We have to have some degree of measurement and revelation, then we can begin to journey towards better. What most of these articles said to me, Jay, was that they were going to some said we're doubled down on our efforts and we'll take the money that we were gonna allocate, which is somewhere between one and three million dollars for this new center. We'll take that one and three million and pour it into existing program. But then I read one article and I said, is one enough for me to put the red flag up? Yeah, it is. One article I read, it said, well, we have to we have to uncover what we are doing. And I said, as the president of the institution, um, how is it that either you can be quoted as saying we have to uncover what we are doing behind the decision being made to say, we're just gonna scrap the uh, Center for Racial Justice. If I'm gonna get out and say, I'm backtracking off of this declaration that we made, I'm gonna backtrack and we're gonna put our money where we, I need to already know, well, what are we already doing? It it just, it logically didn't make any sense, which is the reason why I think people like Bernice King, uh, chief executive of Martin Luther King Center says, you know, listen, We got a problem with this. Diversity efforts are not the same as working to end racism. I I think it's a reason why black faculty members at Penn State are complaining. Last year, I believe that the report says that uh, African-Americans accounted for about 3.1% of faculty in 2020, 3.1%. I will tell you something else that I can't really elaborate on because it's not my story. I heard the story uh, riding around um, in the city a couple of weeks ago, but a former or a Penn alum talked about when they were attending the university, there was the death of at least one black person, a body found on the campus, and how the campus just pretty much tried to sweep it up under the rug. And the context of that was around, Penn State has a longer history of not doing what needs to be done around equity and inclusion and representation. This is not a newer history, it's a longer history. And so for the current president to scrap it, but then say we need to do a discovery to see what we're doing. I think that's a little bit of um, putting the cart before the horse.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it shows the. Uh, I'll say it. I don't know, maybe too harshly, but it shows the the disingenuousness of the the center in the first place because, it, if you don't know what's wrong. And you haven't spent the time to figure that out, right? I mean, this is what you and I do for a living on the regular: is uh, is figure out what's broken and then build systems to correct that. Um, and so, you know, now to say, oh, we're going to go back and we're going to study and discover what what is broken. Well, you know, you've got a hundred years of history and and two years since the death of George Floyd to have been working on that before you made this decision to cut the center. Um, I will say, though, I would like to get your opinion a little bit more on the the Bernice King statement. Diversity efforts are not as the same as working to end racism, which I 100% agree with. They're not the same. Um, but sometimes I feel like statements like that uh, discourage good. They discourage um, TA leaders, DEI leaders, HR leaders, CEOs from taking action because it's not enough and what we really need is people who are who are willing to do what's necessary to build into the systems that they control that they can influence to start to increase diversity, which will work towards ending racism. And, and so I sometimes I find that kind of language a little bit discouraging um, and not disrespectful, obviously, to, to Mrs. King in any, any shape or form, um, but it, it just sort of lands oddly with me um, when we think about the work that has to be done and how it has to be systematic. Um, and that has to be, you know, there have to be diversity efforts to actually end racism, I
0: think so what's your question to me though because i hear your position um so what's your question to me
1: Mm, i don't know if there's a question so much as i guess i just made a statement and wondering you know sort of your gut your reaction to to it
0: yeah so you know when i read the statement uh and when i read statements of that sort i tend to i tend to think about um i tend to think about the the trouble that I cannot remember her name now. She's the former DNI officer for Apple. I think it's Denise Young Smith, if I'm not mistaken. Back in like 2015 or 16, something like that, she was in Brazil and she made a statement around 14 or so white men being in the room, and that really is diversity and inclusion, if I'm not mistaken. I'm paraphrasing. And I felt like that was problematic around, this is a black woman saying that 14 men being in a room is diversity and inclusion. I felt like that was problematic because I felt like it gave cover and grace to individuals not willing to push hard enough to increase diversity, to increase inclusion and representation. And so when I hear a statement like Bernice King's, I I hear it the same way that I read Denise, the same thing. I feel like we sometimes can flirt with diversity and think that we are making progress when we are not tearing down and trying to deconstruct these systems of oppression and prejudice and just these barriers that prevent us from re- ma- really making true progress so personally I didn't see an issue in the statement however I can I can embrace I can sit with what you are saying as well because here's the beauty in that the beauty and and there are so many times that people that are younger than you and I Jay, um not excluding you from that youngness if you will, but there are times when people will put stuff up on social media, and they're like calling it out, like this is the problem. And I have I sit I literally will sit there and read it for two, three, four minutes. Like I don't see what's wrong. Like I don't see the issue. And it'll be a long thread of people commenting, and I'm trying, not necessarily trying to 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 agree, if you will. I'm I'm literally just trying to see what is the issue. So, I can live with your observation around the sentiment of how sometimes a statement like that might push people away from really participating and being a part of how we are uh, creating a better journey. So, thank you for that. And what I will say is that Penn State, do better.
1: Yes. Um, Penn State,
0: just simply do better. We yes. we, we need you to You are, you are a well-recognized academic institution. And like Wharton earlier in this episode, you and the statement that would have been made by standing up that Center for Racial Justice, Penn State, I need you to
1: do that. Yep. Yep. Transparently better. Um, And just as we close out this section, this uh, segment, before we go to her voice, I didn't want to miss your call out in a flash about the um arguments that are happening this week in front of the supreme court about ending affirmative action at the university level with cases against both harvard and um university of north carolina yeah unc thank you um and very, very likely then later this next year, you and I will be talking about the overturning of affirmative action uh, by SCOTUS. And that probably deserves its, its own historical um, Crazy in the King episode as, as we lead up to those. But if you haven't followed those arguments, check them out, uh, Justice Kintaji Brown Brack brown jackson excuse me is uh, is making some compelling statements um and you're starting to hear really where the other side sits um and we're likely to lose that regulation uh mid next year
0: you got it we'll be right back you've got questions we've got answers business leadership ownership and sales can be challenging tune into the accelerate your business growth podcast to learn from the world's experts and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Her voice segment is where we amplify women that are making moves. So this week, uh, up first, we have Amber Coleman-Mortal. She is the director of innovation at the Female Quotient. Uh, FQ is an equality services company that provides thought leadership platforms for women and develops solutions for organizations committed to closing the gender gap in the workplace.
1: And we also have 35-year-old Canva founder, Melanie Perkins, uh, who got rejected by 100 VCs. Now her 26 billion design startup, which Canva's kind of a competitor to like an Adobe design, um, is ready to take on Microsoft and Google. Uh, Perkins, who's Australian, founded the design platform with zero Silicon Valley connections, and it's now the world's most valuable startup founded and led by a woman.
0: And finally, the NBA-hired Paramount Plus Senior VP of Consumer Marketing and Streaming this Tammy Henault as uh, their Chief Marketing Officer, and Laura Cavanaugh will be the first woman to lead the New York City Fire Department. Shout out to all of the women that this week made it into our Her Voice segment and we gotta move real quick to disability twitter i think we have some interesting ones this week you first
1: yeah i love this first one so it's being me uh 420 um and it's a picture that says i'm too clumsy to be around fragile masculinity as a coffee cup which we all need and it says this is absolutely perfect uh hashtag heds hashtag disability twitter hashtag adhd
0: yeah, and this one here is not so much of a mystery, um, but you know we we understand that people in the disability community are not employed in numbers that we can brag about. But we actually found a story this week around employment in the disability community. And it was a story uh, dropped by Andrew Pulrang, A N D R E W, G, R A N G, I'm sorry, Andrew Pulrang. He dropped the story of Forbes titled, Why is the employment gap for people with disabilities so consistently wide? The one thing that I want to mention in that is that there is a tiny morsel of good news in the article. The uptick in employment within the community was a little bit higher uh, over the last month or so, and so that we want to apply.
1: Yes, absolutely. Andrew is an uh, amazing founder of the uh, CryptoVote hashtag, in fact. Uh, last but not least, we have Slikers at Slikers 8 S-L-Y-K-E-R-S-8, the number eight. Uh, love out to all the humans in constant chronic pain. Most people have no idea the mental and emotional discipline it takes to live like this. I love you. I see you. I honor you and your pain and your survival. Hashtag Disability Twitter.
0: Marching towards the holiday season, we have just a few more weeks. And for all of our listeners, just know that Julie and I have curated some really good interviews to end the year. Um, but we'll be back next week live and direct. We close your mind each and every one of you just share the pod with your digital tribe and find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, and workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya.